Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Peter Crone. He's a performance coach to athletes, professionals, and celebrities, and we are talking about how to defeat your limiting beliefs. The beliefs and subconscious narratives that we hold shape our behavior, health, relationships, and performance, but by its very definition, the subconscious is difficult to tap into. So today, expect to learn how to step into the narrative loop of your own self-image, why not feeling like you're enough is such a common occurrence, how to be less hard on yourself, what our most dangerous inner monologues are, and much more. In other news, this episode is brought to you by Pure Sport CBD. The world's first nootropics-infused CBD oils are here, and they're going to help you get the night's sleep that you are desperately needing at the moment. If you're struggling to switch off at night, their Unwind blend, which is my favorite one, is valerian root and CBD oil and chamomile and lavender and vitamin B complex and some other stuff, but they have made the optimal dose of everything so that you don't need to take multiple products. All you do is just take a couple of drops of this under your tongue before you go to sleep at night and I'm finding myself waking up less throughout the night. I feel more rested in the morning as well. They've also got over a thousand reviews on Trustpilot at an average of 4.8 stars. Uh, Sky News had them on recently talking about one of the most innovative CBD companies in the world. You need to make sure that the CBD you're getting is of the highest quality available and that's why Pure Sport have every batch of products tested separately by two third-party companies so that it is only the highest caliber that ever reaches the market and you can get a 20% discount off all full-priced items by going to puresportcbd.com slash modernwisdom and using the code MW20. That's puresportcbd.com slash modernwisdom and the code MW20 for that 20% discount. International shipping is available, so wherever you are, you can get the most innovative and highest quality CBD products on the market. In other other news. This episode is brought to you by DW Aligners. Get the perfect straight smile that you have always dreamed of, 70% cheaper than other invisible align methods. It's an easier, quicker, and cheaper way to get that perfect smile while still receiving all of the support and expertise that you would traditionally, plus they also offer great finance plans. It literally is 70% cheaper than other invisible aligners because it reduces the trips that you need to go to your dentist. You track your progress using a diamond white self-scan unit, which uses artificial intelligence and a team of registered dentists to ensure that you're moving forward correctly. They've done half a billion scans and counting on this system. Their customer service means that you're appointed a treatment coordinator to help you through every step of the way. They've got digital scanners, 3D before and after images, and dental monitoring throughout the entire treatment. Head to dwaligners.co.uk slash modernwisdom, and you can get this 70% discount on other invisible align methods. If you've been thinking that you want to get your smile sorted, this is the way to do it dwaligners.co.uk slash modernwisdom. But now it is time for the wise and wonderful Peter Crone. Peter Crone, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, young man. Good to be here. What do you describe <laughs> what you do for work? How do you describe it? 
Um, well, I mean, the moniker that I've commonly uh, become known as is the mind architect. Um, in terms of what does that mean? Uh, my main product I tell people is freedom, uh, really liberating people from the constraints of uh, particularly their subconscious mind. So the primal patterns that have us as human beings suffer in any way, I uh, emancipate people from that mental prison. Why is the subconscious so important with that, given the fact that a lot of people <clears throat> see their suffering coming from external factors or internal obvious triggers? Why, where does the subconscious fit into this? Um, it's sort of the quintessential part of the iceberg that you can't see. You know, we've all seen those memes a million times as it relates to business and whatever it is. Like, you know, you can just see the tip that's um, someone's persona as we know them, perhaps. But until you get to the deeper seated programming that really was uh, created during the formative years of our childhood. And these, these are the constraints that we function within. And so if you really want to make any kind of lasting change in your life or any dramatic change, and you've got to be able to access what are the parameters that a human being currently functions in versus sort of just changing the, the superficial behaviors, which a lot of people you know, are constantly trying to do. And then they wonder why they revert back to old habits. How much or how important is our subconscious in between the two? We've got the external factors. Is it that iceberg analogy? Do you think that what we see and what we perceive is only a small amount of what causes suffering or happiness? I mean, the immediate answer is yes. <laughs> um, I mean, it's important, uh, as important as the foundations of a house. You know, you could say, well, you know, I really like this particular tap. You know, it's like gorgeous and it's gold plated and like, OK, that's awesome. But like, you know, where does that go in your master bathroom? And that's part of a five, six thousand square foot home. And all of it doesn't mean jack unless you've got a solid foundation. You know, if you built a foundation for a house that can only hold a two thousand square foot building, then you can dream and aspire as much as you want for this beautiful brawling mansion, but it's not going to work, right? So that's the equivalent in terms of construction, but that's someone's life. They want to make money. They want to have a beautiful relationship. They want to be in great shape. They want to live for a long life. You know, all of the things that people dream and aspire to can't happen if you're functioning within a foundation, aka your subconscious, that won't uh, permit it, won't uh, make space for it. What does it mean to have a conversation or to interact with something which by its very definition is below the threshold of our own consciousness? We're talking about trying to interact with something which is purpose-built to not be noticeable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, what does it mean to have a conversation with that? How do you, how do you even begin? Yeah. No, oh, it is. No. Well, you have, to, you have to talk to Peter Crone, obviously. That's why you're here, <laughs> Peter. Um. So, yes, it, it gets a bit slippery, and it's why I, uh, why I use the term reverse engineer. So where there's smoke, you know, where there's fire, right? Like, so there's an implication. So the way that I work is when somebody does work with me, an athlete, an entertainer, a businessman, or whoever it might be, whatever it is that they believe they're dealing with, they're going to be able to present their story, their scenarios, their symptoms. And for me, that reveals, okay, if you expect, experience, depression, anxiety, addiction, relationship problems, financial problems, an ongoing disease, some sort of chronic condition, then it's revelatory to me, meaning I'm able to go, oh, okay, if you deal with this particular superficial situation, 
then that tells me a lot about what must be beneath the surface. So it's a bit of a, I'd say it's actually a lot of a gift, but it's also, it is difficult for the individual to be able to just access their own subconscious because it's sort of behind the eyes, literally and figuratively, right? So it takes somebody who's willing either to get reflection from somebody who knows how to listen in a powerful way, or to be able to sit still long enough to really inquire, like through meditation, um, as one example, what must I believe about myself at the deepest level that has me think, feel and behave in a certain way that elicits these results versus just trying to change behavior. Most people function in the world of action, right? You go and see a specialist or an expert and they're like, oh, you do this, do that, shouldn't do that, stop. It's all in the realm of behavior. So that's maybe going to make some sort of transitory difference, but it's not going to be long lasting if you haven't changed the fundamental code in the way that you view yourself, because you're still eventually going to have the same thoughts that lead to the same feelings that then will create automatically actions, the habits and the consequential results. So you've got to go to the center of who you are as a being if you want to make any kind of long lasting, profound change in your life. So that's what it looks like is it's slippery, it's difficult, it takes a lot of intuition and invariably it takes reflection. You know, this is why I think relationships are beautiful because you may not be going to see a Peter Crone or, you know, a, 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 a therapist or someone who's worth their salt, but you know, you might have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife or a mother-in-law and they trigger the shit out of you. Well, there's your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like they piss me off, they upset me, uh, you know, and okay, great. Well, then that's just helping you to see where is your foundation, to use the metaphor I gave earlier, a little bit shaky. Where are you unable to be with the circumstances of life without getting upset? That's the revelation process. So usually most people don't want to look at it as themselves. No, it really is my mother-in-law. Like, if you met her, you would agree. Yeah, she's <laughs> you know, a bitch. Like, Everyone around her says that she's a bitch. Yeah, and you've got all the evidence to confirm. Okay, great. Well, then you're stuck because you're right about the fact that you're a victim of circumstance. And that's one of the most powerless places for people to be. So life will continue to help you to see what's going on in your subconscious. It's just, are you paying attention? <laughs> it's obvious to me, sometimes you, you see people or you meet people and they have a, it's like a flavor to that imbues all of the things that they do all of the different interactions, whether they be in a relationship, whether they be at work, whether it's to do with their fitness, their health, their happiness, mm -hmm. whatever it might be, everything yeah. kind of has the same tenor. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. It's like all yeah. on the same sort of frequency somehow. Everything's a bit, it's a little bit passive aggressive or it's a little bit kind of overly defensive or it's a little bit vulnerable or it's a little bit, they don't take stuff seriously. And it always seems to happen across a lot. And, the, there is a unifying thread that brings all of that together. I'm going to guess that yes. that is these unknown unknowns that sit in the subconscious. Correct. Yeah, it's, you know, if you're, if you're sitting in a, in a world, a construct, then it's kind of like, it doesn't matter what you do, who you're with, what you wear, what you say, everything is being informed by that fundamental construct, right? So, Right now, for example, we're all on planet Earth. You know, I don't know how big your audience is. I'm assuming it's not beyond the globe, but maybe it is. Welcome to those who are listening. World's first afar. intergalactic <laughs> podcast. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. <laughs> but 
I'm going to guess that for the most part, people are on planet Earth somewhere. And one of the constructs that we all fall prey to, that we all have to abide by the laws of physics, is called gravity. doesn't matter if you're in the UK or here in the States or you're in Iceland or Timbuktu or Australia. If you stand on a wall, don't, you know, don't go on a very high wall. But if you go on a two, three foot wall and you jump, you know, you're going to go down. Right. Hence why I don't want people to be on a massive wall. <laughs> No, we don't want any injuries on this intergalactical podcast. But anyway, the point is that is a construct that we function within. And it doesn't matter where you go, that's going to be the case, right? That you're going to be able to jump to a certain degree, but you're always going to come back down. So likewise, in somebody's subconscious, whatever it is, your particular flavor to you said, you know, there's this sort of certain quality that is consistent in people's behavior it's it's because they're being informed by the same construct for them you know for someone it might be the world of they don't feel like they're good enough you know which everyone can relate to so in their particular way of interacting in relationships in the workplace in their home in their body there's this undercurrent of perfectionism you know you you, you know dave and he can't like ever kind of relax you know it's like he's always got to have his shit together and he's always well put together and you know he can't really tell you that things didn't go well because that would look bad and you know he's being informed by the fact that at the deeper level he doesn't feel good enough and so a compensatory like mechanism the way that he's learned to protect himself and survive is to become a perfectionist right um so that's, again, where we could reverse engineer. You see someone's superficial behaviors, the way that they consistently get the same results, and then it will reveal, oh, okay, I can see that at a young age, because his brother got more attention, was a better athlete, or was more successful in the school play, uh, you know, or had greater academic results, then Dave, relative to his older brother, felt somewhat inadequate, and he made that mean that he wasn't good enough, and then he developed his survival mechanisms, right? So um that's you know that's what everyone's dealing with they've got their own flavor of their personality and even the word persona right and greek re relates to when they were doing plays they would wear a mask and use this bullhorn to speak through as actors and that was called the persona it was a mask and even though you know we you see there's persons on the planet like that persona is something really that i'm I'm revealing for somebody in the most compassionate, loving way. There's nothing wrong with it, but it is going to be an obstacle potentially to the things that you want to create in your life. And if I can bring light to the constraints so that you can step outside of them, then you have a bigger bandwidth, you become more expanded and you have a greater life. So if you're I, into that kind of stuff. <laughs> I like the analogy of it being your own personal laws of physics. I think that's really, yeah. really cool that you have mm -hmm. certain things and you could look at somebody else and they're a different universe. In their universe, perhaps the laws of physics actually manifest a little bit differently. And mm -hmm. that could be the way that they deal with setbacks. And in your physical universe, the way that your substrate, the source code within your subconscious is written, that you have this program. If bad thing happens, run program shityourpants.exe or whatever it might be. Right. Um, yeah. But for this other person, you're like, well, ha, he deals with it fine or she deals with it right. fine. How come that yeah. happens? Yeah. Yeah. And it's at that level that we can really say there's no such thing as choice. It's uh, trigger and response, trigger and response, right? So when you become increasingly aware of your code, of your deep-seated programs, now we could say that there's a semblance of responsibility, right? Which is 
um, access to being a powerful human being. So, oh, if I know the mechanisms that run me by virtue of how I've been conditioned over time, then I have a choice. If I'm in the program, there's no choice. It's just literally external stimulus, internal reaction. And we see this, you know, people in traffic, someone cuts you off. It's like, hey, you fucking idiot. You know, it's like that, that's not that's not a choice response. That is purely automated. And it can lead to a lot of, you know, blood and <laughs> scuffed fists and whatever, you know. But it's if you start to go, wow, I'm under the impression that like a piece of metal and plastic with a human being in it driving that I don't even know who they are. That reaction is saying that I'm giving them power over my emotional state. Now, when you break it down, it's like it's completely nonsensical. I don't even know who that person is. And I'm saying they are in charge of my internal wellness. Right. And when you see that, it's like, well, why would why would I give that person so much command over my emotional well-being? Well, you wouldn't if you were like a rational, intelligent, like responsible human being. And that starts to give that idea of self-responsibility of like okay that person coming in front of me in the traffic adds maybe like one to two seconds in my day but i watch crap tv for three hours a night like you know it's like really is that really going to change the fact that i'm not a multi-millionaire with a six-pack and dating a supermodel or whatever that person wants like no i mean you start to go oh hang on a minute i'm just a victim of my own conditioning not even a victim of circumstance. I'm a victim of my own programming that I'm oblivious to and becoming a powerful human being is to reveal the programming that I have by virtue of my childhood, which is no slight on parents. It's not like mom and dad's fault. They're doing the best they can within their programming. So we get out of the blame game too and go, oh, hang on. There's this sentient being, a soul who's incarnated. I've taken on this code. And perhaps we could say that my opportunity is to reveal the code and transcend it so that I step into a much broader, expanded version of myself and consequently great things show up in my life. Boom. End of story. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting thinking about just how much deprogramming we can do. Is mm -hmm. there a state where you can get to where you've dissolved so much subconscious that it's actually a disadvantage? Not that I'm aware of. You think that Why most people just have more to do? Well, I, I don't know how your work mm -hmm. and your vision of the subconscious maps onto sort of dissolving of the ego and letting go, etc. But yeah. I can imagine a world within which people became so enlightened or they yeah. became so detached from their subconscious and what their actual internal programming is supposed to do for instance your body keeps you breathing all the time you yeah. don't consciously have to think about that it is a subconscious action that keeps that going and there's a lot of wisdom inherent just in the way that we are now a lot mm -hmm. of that also kind of manifests in a malignant or a, a not non-adaptive non-effective manner but there's also yeah. there's also certain things you put your hand in a fire you don't really actually need to be taught not to do it your body is able to react in that sort of a way. Yeah. I'm aware that yeah. that's slightly less cognitive and cerebral and a little bit more sort of within the body that's more embodied. But still, yeah. I wonder whether there is too far. It would appear that you haven't found someone that's pushed it too far yet. No, because again, like I said earlier, when I was speaking specifically about the subconscious, I didn't say we're getting rid of everything that's part of your subconscious, like being able to get out of bed in the morning and walk over to the toilet and you know take a leak or then go to the kitchen and get a glass of water you know that's part of your subconscious yeah when if you remember 
which most people won't, but if they're a parent, they certainly see it, which is as a three month old, they can't do that, <laughs> right? So part of the habituation of what it means to be a human and certainly an adult or after we get to about the age of two and we have functions like walking, running, balance, that that's great aspects of the programming of the subconscious. But what I said is we want to remove the constraints, not like remove every piece of programming that you've ever downloaded and developed. No, that would uh, that probably wouldn't look pretty. Um, so it's really specifically to what I would consider these primal pieces of code that are all in the realm of survival that are they're, they're fundamentally based in fear. Right. That's the they're, they're the constraints of the subconscious that I'm reconciling and dissolving for people. Like, I love the fact that you know how to ride a bike or you can ride a motorcycle at speed around a corner. Like, you know, good for you. But if you do it from a perspective of I am trying to impress my girlfriend on the back because I'm scared that no one loves me. Yeah. You know, that might not end well. Right. So, <laughs> you know, like that goes back to the, our mate Dave, you know, who's trying to show off all the time. <laughs> What are the most? Nothing against all the Daves out Dave, there. Dave, yeah, them. every every Dave's pissing himself at the moment. Um, what are some of the most common patterns or constraints that you encounter in people's subconscious? Then, have you got like a top of the pops top three or something? Top ten. I got it's my book. You know, I've delineated what I consider to be ten primal ones. So obviously, and for you know self-evident reasons, I'm not going to list them all here because it's part of my book. But the one that I just gave is probably the most common, which is not feeling like we're enough. And that can manifest in different ways. Like I'm not pretty enough, smart enough, rich enough, you know, thin enough, um, whatever it is, sexual enough, like that whole domain of not enoughness is itself um, a dis-ease that human beings uh, all can relate to and many people are defined by. So helping people to transcend that and see that's just a piece of code. It's not a truth. It's something that you've got evidence for based on the way that you were brought up. As I said, using Dave and his older sibling, it could be somebody who wasn't picked for the footy team or, you know, the hockey team or, you know, or the first time they went on a, a date and they really felt like they were attracted to someone they never heard back from them. And they've used that external evidence uh, as a means of triggering an internal dialogue that I would assert they actually arrived with. So it wasn't like something happened that gave it to you. It was the external stimulus was what turned it on very much like epigenetics. And that's just in the emotional realm. So then you'll spend the rest of your life for the most part trying to compensate for that. People pleasing perfectionism, you've got to look sexy, you've got to be wealthier, you've got to be thinner as a way of offsetting the deep-seated belief that you're not enough in the first place, which only continues to perpetuate it. That's the madness, right, of these uh, these compensatory patterns that people use. Uh, all they're doing is actually sustaining the very deep-seated fear that we're trying to mitigate. Whoops. And then you wonder why people need to drink so much. Yeah, well, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way, right? Yeah. yeah. That every yeah. time that you do it, even if you fix the problem, even if you mm -hmm. spend enough time to do the thing to make the thing happen or not happen that you were afraid of happening or not happening. Even if you do that, yeah. it's still reinforcing. I am the sort of person who dot, dot, dot needs to do this in order to make the situation feel good, to feel loved, to feel sufficient. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it doesn't surprise me that people get into adulthood and they have these un unexamined challenges in life. Yeah. I mean, there's just, 
the mirror, fill in the blank of like, what do people deal with, right? Like that a whole umbrella of what we could call suffering. I mean, the, the usual suspects are like anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, addiction, relationship woes, uh, lack of finances, disease is a huge one. You know, the body starts to manifest over time, the chronic internal sense of absence of ease. And that's going to affect some sort of tissue system over time. Um, it's just what people call life nowadays, you know, and it becomes normalized in my world. It's not normal at all. It's very unnatural, actually, uh, for people to be suffering. So pain is one thing, you know, if you, you fall over, you scuff your knee, you put, you know, kick the coffee table accidentally with your toe or maybe not accidentally, you know, you're pissed. <laughs> it's going to hurt. That's pain. But suffering as it relates to the psychological and emotional state of a human being to me is optional once you understand these deep seated patterns. And that makes for a very different experience of being human and would certainly make for a very different world than the one that we currently live in. How do people step into the narrative loop of how they see themselves? It's just this recursive echo chamber of your own thoughts in your own head. This problem, this problem, this problem. How do mm -hmm. people start a break point in that? Listen. Learn to listen. You know, if you're with one of your mates, girlfriend, you know, family member, your sister, your mom, it doesn't really matter. If someone's struggling with something, as an observer of their experience, we tend to come naturally, hopefully, from a position of love and compassion, and we want to make a difference. We want to, oh, it's okay. A mother, certainly, with a child who's fallen over, they're crying or they're upset because they didn't get picked for a team or they're hungry and they're cranky. We hold space for that person naturally. If your friend's struggling with something, they've gone through a breakup, you're like, ah, oh, it's all right, mate, you know, don't worry, we'll figure it out. Like the energy that we bring to that is love and compassion. There's a holding. When it comes to our own dialogue, we tend to berate the shit out of ourselves. <laughs> so listen is the first place. You know, um, I did a, a live during the whole COVID thing, and the, the girl who was hosting it said, you know, gosh, I've got to... I've got to talk better to myself, you know, to her point about her own sort of negative dialogue. I said, actually, what about if you just listen better to yourself? And it really was like in that moment, you could see that she really was like, oh, my gosh, I never looked at it like that. So if we understand, like we were saying earlier, these things are habituated, meaning your conditioning from your subconscious is just arising by virtue of the container that you're in through no fault of your own, then that dialogue is it's already there. It's too late right like it's already arisen and the conversations that we have in our head that's a, a byproduct of whatever construct you're still stuck in so it's really about listening to wow like i really am quite awful to myself <laughs> the the conversation that's going on in my head is really quite derogatory and if it was a friend of yours speaking that way about themselves your tendency would be to like, mate, mate, no, you, you, that's not you, you know, you're, you're amazing. And, you know, unless it was a guy who cut you in traffic and then you're like, no, you are a dick. You are a dick. <laughs> yeah, um, so <clears throat> having more love and compassion for self, but through the facility of listening to the thoughts versus being the thoughts. The, the trouble is with an individual is that the thoughts arise in our head. They're so close to us. Listening to somebody else is this illusion of space, right? It's much easier to feel like removed from their situation or their narrative. But when we're sitting in the, 
you know, car by ourselves, we're in the shower, we're just about to go to bed, we're, wherever we are usually by ourselves, there's this dialogue and it feels like that's me, that's that, that voice in my head, that's who I am. And it's really not, it's inherited, it's something that you've learned over time uh, to just believe to be the self instead of like, what if that was like this, you know, mildly annoying roommate you have? <laughs> And if you could look at it through that lens and go, wow, what was my roommate talking about now? Um, and that's, that would at least start to spark the uh, listening facility faculty of a human. To, then you can investigate the validity of what you're listening to. Is it really true? Like one of the very sort of quick tips I tell people is put a question mark at the end of everything that you hear in your head. Just put a question mark. You're a fucking idiot. You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> I mean, it still might be a yes, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But at least you get to have a conversation about it versus it's just a bold statement. You know? I really like the idea of trying to create that space, trying to create that third party perspective between you and your thoughts. It took me, man, I, I must have first heard you are not your thoughts on some pithy Instagram quote, probably like right. eight years ago in between a funny cat video and a booty picture. And, um, right. <laughs> it's taken me it's honestly took me until a couple of years ago to really really genuinely understand and truly inculcate that I'm not that the voice that appears in your head is no yeah. more you than the voice that you Peter Crone are giving to everybody that's listening right now it's right. not it's just this this bizarre conglomeration of things that are happening now and things that have happened in the past and it just pops up and you're totally right you should question absolutely everything that your mind mm -hmm. says because you don't know what you're going to think next right. i don't know what i'm going to think next any more than i know what you're going to say next mm -hmm. and when you genuinely realize that you think oh god well i mean that mean that means maybe that i shouldn't have quite so much faith and trust in the words that appear in my own sort of mental landscape mm-hmm yeah that then, to me, what that pulls for and what it elicits is the the ability to observe. Like it's almost like a fascination, a curiosity that that inspires, right? Versus it's a factual gospel dialogue that I'm hearing in my head. It's like, wow, I'm kind of curious to see what crap I'm going to come up with today. In there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what like <clears throat> garbage narrative like I can um, you know pay attention today and see if I can transcend that. I mean, most people buy straight into it and that defines their emotional state. And then, you know, if their mind is telling them like you're useless, what's the point? Then there's going to be an apathy and a resignation and a lethargy in their body. And then they're not going to take action versus like, you know, I had a beautiful group of seven women at my house as a sort of a retreat event. And, you know, one of the women there, they're all well to do. They've got resources. They're educated. They're smart. Um, was really caught in this world of playing the second fiddle, you know, like for her, she was just not that special, but there's no, there's no evidence for that. Like in reality, other than whatever she would attribute to that narrative, right? Like, Oh, well, because of this and because of that, like she's using circumstantial evidence to confirm a narrative that is completely debilitating for her. And I said, well, what if I told you, you were the most important person on the planet? And I mean, you look at her eyes, like, you know, just the idea of stepping into that arena, that conversation, 
no no more true than the one that she's not very special but boy does it give a entirely different experience of herself now to begin with she said god that'd be so uncomfortable well it's only uncomfortable relative to what you've become accustomed to which is that you you know no one gives a shit about you yeah do you <laughs> right? want the familiar not- the familiar hateful discomfort of self-loathing or do you want the new scary discomfort of being the person in the center of the stage yeah, and and for her, I was using that. It's not that everyone needs to be center stage, but like to use it purely as a, a point of comparison. If you were the most important person on the planet, like literally, like that's a statement of fact, not like I'm just having fun. Like, how would you feel? And like, you could see the intrepidation, but the mild excitement. And for her, it was sort of around the arena of relationships. Like, you know, for her to be not that special and then she wondered why she's single. It's like, well, hello. You know, it's like it's simple physics, right? But if you're the most important person on the planet, you're going to have suitors left, right and center just by virtue of the shift in your own frequency and your own energy, which is going to give rise to the people that you attract. Not because you're going to be walking around from a position of arrogance. Like she would never get there because she was too familiar in her own sense of inadequacy. But just to be able to nudge the needle into a place of some semblance of self-worth, that would then be the precursor to men being attracted to her versus like energetically, you know, just the way she just holds herself, her body. You know, it's a little bit like she's cowering and the way she dresses and, you know, all of that is an extension of her own dialogue. So you change the narrative. That is physics. You now have a different vibratory state. You function from a different frequency. You think differently. You feel differently. You act differently. And consequently, you get different results. I mean, it just it works every time. <laughs> it's so, the, the way that we interpret as well, right? Because the same mm-hmm. situation could be experienced by two different people. And the frame that they go into that experience with, they could have completely, mm-hmm. completely differing results. Someone mm-hmm. could not get the job in a particular job application and come out of it and think, you know what it is? I did everything there. I nailed it. I absolutely nailed it. Gave it my all. It just wasn't my day. That Mm -hmm. different version of a different person would come in and say, you know, it was because I wasn't enough of this or I should have done more of that or whatever it might be. So we actively seek for evidence in the external world that proves to us the predetermined narrative that we decided to go into the exchange with in any case. So it's almost like it's unfalsifiable in a way mm-hmm. any mm-hmm. contrary evidence to what it was that we wanted or we predicted was going to happen is going to be discounted because that's imposter syndrome right that's when you say oh yeah. well, no 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 that that was just a fluke or that doesn't always happen to me or whatever to excuse you want to give it or... yeah precisely yeah. um and all of the stuff even if it isn't true or even if it's super rare all of the other stuff that's in there that does confirm the narrative we went into it with we think oh yeah yeah that's the that's the true me. That's that that, mm-hmm. that always happens. No, you always see that happening. Mm-hmm. Not that mm-hmm. always happens. You always manage to find it, the needle in the haystack. Yeah, yeah. Because the number one priority and prerogative of any ego is to be right. <laughs> I mean, having done this for 20 years, it was just fascinating to me to consistently see that pattern of like, wow, people would rather be right about their inadequacies, insecurities, and their limitations than actually create the life that they apparently espouse about wanting to have. And when you see the madness of that, you really see one of the fundamental flaws of the ego, which is self-righteousness, right? And this is what we see in relationships. Like what is one of the ways that people garner any sense of self-value is, well, if I can make somebody else wrong, whether it's my wife, my, my, my kids, my 
my parents, you know, my neighbors for the fucking fact that they haven't trimmed the hedge yet or, you know, whatever it is, you'll find anything to make someone else wrong, which is really another means of trying to garner desperately some sense of self-value. We just do it through a narrative, which itself by de definition is, is limited. So people get to be right consistently. I'm like, wow, wow, that's, you know, congratulations. You're right about your insecurities and your inadequacies. That's so, <laughs> so fucking inspiring, you know. <laughs> You've become me with the architect of your own misery. Yeah. That's the old expression. You probably saw it between your cat videos and your booties in one another pithy quote of yours. But it says, you know, you fight for your limitations and they're yours, right? So I remember this with one of my professional golfers, like, I actually ended up caddying for him, love the guy, we had a lot of success, we tripled his winnings in two years, but he hadn't actually got the win. But tripling somebody's business, you know, in two years is significant, you know, whatever it is, like for him, an average million a year as a player, and we got to 3.5 in our second year, you know, that's a, that's a good return, right? But, you know, I remember this one green we stepped on, it hit it in two, so it was a par four, like he's, it, quote unquote, you know, playing within the parameter of what you're trying to accomplish. And anyone who knows golf, you want to make the putt and make a birdie. I handed him the putt and he said, watch me three putt this. <laughs> so now that's not conscious. That's him being scared because it was a bit of a tricky putt. But it's his way of justifying and offsetting any potential, you know, failure. But at least even if he did three putt it, where he garners a little bit of sort of self-pride is I was right about it. Even though like that's shitty on a scorecard, it's not going to help us in the tournament. But that's how subtle, yet yeah, how destructive the ego can be. So it's a it's yeah. a protective, it's like a prophylactic mechanism, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Get to be right. Well done. Congratulations. I'm so inspired. <laughs> you're never gonna meet anyone. No one loves you, and you're a dog shit at whatever your career is. Like, yeah, wow. How how do I sign up for that program? <laughs> well, you don't need me, the mind architect. I mean, clearly, you're just like, you know, how you don't have millions of people following your programs. I've built know. a Sistine Chapel of dog turds here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you, you've got a quote talking about limitations and stuff. You've got a quote that says, life is as difficult <laughs> as you are limited. What does that mean? Um, well, it's sort of within the realm of everything we've discussed, which is, I, I like to use metaphors. I think it helps people to understand. So if somebody went to a yoga class and I've gone with many of my athletes who are extraordinary athletes in their field, but you know, they've never been to yoga or they've rarely been. And so we're back to the Sistine Chapel of Dogship, which is their practice. And they're like, wow, this is so difficult. I'm like, no, it's not difficult. You're just stiff. <laughs> so it reveals their constraints. Right. And likewise for myself, it's not like I'm some sort of handy bendy, go, you know, Gandhi yogi. Like, you know, I've got tight shoulders from whatever I do and like my hamstrings. And so that reveals equally my constraints through the practice of yoga. But obviously, the more you practice it, the more you can expand. So likewise with the mind, you're going to be triggered, you know, or you're going to see your quote unquote tight hamstrings emotionally and mentally where you have some constraint. So then life appears difficult. It's not difficult. It's just you're looking through a lens of inadequacy. For somebody who doesn't have that lens, the same circumstance occurs as either easy or an opportunity. So external can be the same, but as you were saying earlier, two, three, five, five million minds are going to have a different interpretation based on their quote unquote mental flexibility. So for me, you know, one of my favorite quotes to myself is, can I be with this? 
which for those people aren't so familiar with my work, it's maybe sort of a an uncommon series of words, and it might sound a little poetic or esoteric, but what I'm really saying is whatever's unfolding, whatever the circumstance that I'm being presented with, can I be with it without being quote unquote emotionally triggered or affected? I don't slip into frustration, anger, disappointment, depression, anxiety. I'm able to hold space for whatever's happening and stay internally quite centered. So that's again where, you know, life is as difficult as you're limited. But for that reason, life is the gift to reveal where we are limited so that life becomes less difficult because we expand our quote unquote perceived limitations. Well, that's the Marcus Aurelius and also the Shakespeare line, right? Which is the universe is change and life itself is but what you deem it. Then mm -hmm. two people can see the same situation in completely different ways, which means that you can also see the situation in a completely different way. But yeah. there are <clears throat> what I like that you've brought up there is that it's it's not as if changing your subconscious is going to make all of the situations, the outcomes of the situations necessarily change. You're not going to be better at yoga by having a better subconscious that tells you about how not shit you are at yoga. Mm -hmm. But what you are going to be able to do is see these things as an opportunity. You said it's opportunity or it's going to be easy. And mm -hmm. that's nice that it's not yeah. just about, it's not outcome focused. It's not right. necessarily about whether or not you do do or don't. It's about how you interpret doing or daunting yeah and there's a little subtlety in there like you know i also like you with you know the shakespeare quote he said nothing is either good nor bad only thinking makes it so right so again that points to the fact that life is the way it is but then it's our own interpretation that's going to give our subjective perspective but then i would also say that there is some power in shifting the subconscious that would actually elicit a different response without the practice of that so to continue the yoga theme it would require a proper case study but for those people who are internally constrained they went to a yoga class and we could you know as best as possible quantify their ability to do yoga and then if we did shift their subconscious it's my assertion that actually they would be better at yoga without having practice opening up because there would be a softness about them there would be a release so that's the power like i've seen it time and time again with my athletes like so many beautiful stories where without shifting anything to do with their technique or their profession, but having a different mindset, they got an instantaneous different result. Like one of my baseball players hadn't had a home run for almost the span of an entire season. It was over two seasons, but almost the length of a six month season. And he wasn't one of the big hitters who traditionally get 30 home runs a year or whatever. And he wasn't a small guy who might get five or six home runs, but he was sort of middle of the pack, 15, 16 home runs. And he hadn't had any for about five and a half months, again, over two seasons. And it was starting to really you know, piss him off. And he's getting paid millions of dollars. So there's a certain degree of pride. He's also getting teased by his teammates because that's what you know guys do in a clubhouse or a locker room. And so literally he was sitting in the parking lot of the baseball stadium about two or three hours before the game, calls me. I was new to the sport. I mean, I'm obviously a Brit. Like, where do we play baseball? It's rounders, you know, and so, which I don't know if that even exists anymore. But anyway, um, so I'm talking to this guy and I took him to a place of complete acceptance, like profound acceptance, not only of the fact that he hadn't, which is reconciliation of his history, because we're always fighting our past. Like we haven't been able to digest something or accept something. And then that gets superimposed into a future where we're worried that that's going to be perpetuated, right? That's basically how the brain is functioning from a place of pr prediction and protection. 
we're using our history to predict something and then we're trying to protect ourselves from it, not realizing that what we're actually doing is perpetuating the history that we've yet to actually reconcile. That was a lot there. If people want to rewind that and really get that, there'll be a lot of value. Anyway, he, you know, suddenly realized that, okay, it's what's happened. And I said, if you never hit a home run ever again in your life, could you be okay? It's not what we want. It's certainly not what I'm here to help you with. But emotionally, could you go, you know what? Okay, that could well be the case. Unlikely, but I'm going to find profound acceptance. We got him to a place where he was genuinely okay with it. That night, second uh, at bat, we were playing St. Louis Cardinals. Boom, home run. Right. And and I mean, the text that I got from after the game is just like, you know, it's like worth the price of entry in my work. It's just so fun and gratifying to see the instantaneous results that people get when there's a shift in mindset. So um, and I love I love real life stories like that, where you can see that when you look through different eyes, you will immediately see a different world uh, versus trying to change the world that you don't like, but keeping the same eyes. <laughs> That's tiring. <laughs> it's very rare that you're ever going to encounter any sort of situation <clears throat> in which being more tense or more uptight or adding mm-hmm. pressure to it is going to help. Mm-hmm. Almost never, you know, and it's no. easy. It's easy to say it in, in yoga where the whole point of the practice is to be relaxed and to breathe into the, the places. And it's quite slow usually. And, quite sort of placid painful but placid but even if you take mma yeah fighters don't want to go in there being being tense and having applied more pressure to themselves than they need they need to be alert but they Mm -hmm. want their training to take over they don't want the front brain to be too active they just want to be seeing and feeling and moving and um Mm -hmm. yeah the same in baseball as well yeah only sport uh for sure but we could say just in life generally you know I don't know if painful and placid is like what you have on your Bumble profile or how girlfriends describe precisely, it. <laughs> precisely what I aim for. Yeah, it is. He's painful but placid. Right, just what every girl's looking for. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, that you know physiologically is a reflection of self-protection, isn't it? Like you know, if if someone was to come running at you, there's an instantaneous primal reaction to brace for impact. Right, that's the tension. And that's the holding. So if we look at that energy psychologically, what's happening is when positioned in when we're in a position of any kind of self-preservation, it may not be overtly obvious, but people internally certainly are in a state of tension. There's a there's a perceived threat. And that's how most people live their lives is there's this perceived threat. The boss leaves you a message or you got to, you know, you're late coming home from the golf course. And, you know, last time you did that, that the girlfriend or the wife got upset and, you know, you're in your car, it's fancy, it's got nice leather and however many cup holders and, you know, whatever <laughs> convinced you to buy the damn thing. And now you're like, oh, wow, I'm going to get into quote unquote trouble, which would be a re- remnant of when I was a child and I was told off by my dad. And, you know, it's the same emotional response, but something that's being created over a future event that hasn't happened yet. And that that whole cycle is how most people live their lives. You know, it's just like these continual perceived threats um, and it's exhausting. And no wonder the world, especially here in the States, is so medicated. So let's say <laughs> let's say that someone, yeah, self-medicated. Let's say that someone is attuned to this. People that are mm-hmm. listening, I'm blown away constantly by just how insightful the audience that listens to this show are. I swear that they inhabit a different part of the <clears throat> internet to the part that I usually see on Twitter because the comment Cat section of, booties. yeah, <laughs> but just the comment section of my videos appear nothing like 
the ones that I see anywhere else on YouTube, which is awesome. So let's say yeah. that as there probably is, there's people that are listening who are mindful. They've got that insight into a yeah. little bit of metacognizance, right? They've got a sliver of awareness into their own programming. Yeah, what, great. what next? What next? They realize that they have patterns that aren't serving them. They've got <clears> these limitations. They're aware of the limitations and they want to change. Yeah. What next? Help others, you know, pay it forward. Um, that, that to me is the immediate response is because if we were to look at the arc of mastery, most human beings are going to come from a position of we start with that which we're oblivious to. Right. And that's where we have compassion. We have patience with each other, hopefully, to realize that we're all functioning within our own limitations, most of which we are completely oblivious to. So um, as you become aware of a pattern, maybe through a series of relationships and you recognize, wow, I've had the same thing show up or in my career and I'm the consistent theme. So maybe that's a bit of a clue. You know, I used to think it was my ex, but then it was the other ex. And then it's like, wait, I'm the one that's in all of those relationships. So shit. Uh, <laughs> so then we become aware of a pattern that was previously a constraint. So now we're conscious of it. And that's going to take some practice and work to actually overcome that pattern. So to answer your question again about your audience being somewhat, you know, tapped in and aware and they've done their own work, you know, maybe they're in that space of they're aware of their patterns and maybe they've transcended many of them. I would assert there's still going to be subtle ones, you know, unless your audience is able to walk on water and manifest shit out of thin air, then there's still work to be done. Um, Because, of course, I'm doing that every day. But anyway, um, (laughs) so the point is, the more that we can help those who are oblivious We're paying it forward. And in so doing, like any teacher, as you teach your craft, then you become more proficient in it. So that would be the next iteration of their own evolution is to take, you know, obviously where where, you know, requested, don't do this shit unsolicited. You're going to meet with a lot of defense and self-protection, you know, just pointing out people's patterns without them asking you to doesn't usually go well. So, um, you know, it's wherever you see the opportunity to make a difference to help somebody recognize why they have this tendency to self-sabotage. That person now is going to be reinforcing their own insights. And simultaneously, like I do with you, you know, I use metaphors and analogies on the fly. Some, of course, I've used before, but oftentimes many of them are just born of the moment. And so then I'm a beneficiary of my own mind's capacity to create an analogy that even I haven't heard before by virtue of our conversation. But that only happens if I'm, quote, unquote, you know, here, not necessarily helping you personally, but I am paying forward my insights to society. So so that would be my response is, you know, help others. Once Once you can kind of, to a certain degree, get out of your own way. Now you get to uh, have the joy and gratification of helping others to do the same. You encourage people to ask the question, who would I be without all of my concerns? I really, really love that. Can you explain why it's an important question? Yeah, who would you be in the absence of your concerns is really an invitation to look at what becomes available once we step out of the constraints, in this case, of what we've been talking about, the subconscious. And it really appeals to what I would assert is our innate, inherent quality of being a free being, an unlimited, a boundless. This is why you watch movies like Limitless with Bradley Cooper or um, Lucy, I think it was, with Scarlett Johansson. You know, wherever there's this sort of celluloid version of superhumans and even the whole like you know superhero movies that we all like love and have seen um 
they appeal to a bigger aspect of what it means to be human, like what is my potential? And so that question certainly gets a lot of attention and it really is inspiring for people to go, wow, gosh, like who would I be in the absence of my concerns? It's really just appealing to and triggering what I would assert is actually our true nature to come forward, you know, with the real Chris step forward, not the Chris that is, you know, thinking that, oh, well, because of this and what my dad said and this, you know, this job didn't work out that I'm, you know, I'm an okay guy, but I'm kind of like, you know, I'm not doing as well as I could or that constraint, that limitation is a direct opposition to what I would assert is your abundant nature. So the question really just helps to, you know, appeal to that deeper sense of true boundlessness. Isn't it bizarre that it feels like everything that is in our subconscious that's part of the source code of who we are is compelling us to be less than we could be? If you think about what our genetic predisposition is, even in terms of our evolution, we are wired mm -hmm. towards unsatisfactoriness, we are wired towards anxiety and threat response and identification. And then mm -hmm. even if you say, okay, so it's not it's not technically a blank slate, right? You've got you've got things that are there that are a part of you by virtue of being the species that you are. And yeah. then you arrive in this world and you spend the first decade and a half to two decades to, for some people, three or four decades without really starting to question the things that you've accumulated along the way, the people that brought mm -hmm. you up, the interactions you had during formative years and all the yeah. traumas you went through and all the successes that you went through and what they told you about who you are. And then you yeah. get to this point where you think, right, it's time, it's time for me to kind of open up the hood of this vehicle and, and have a, like, a little bit of a look underneath. Mm -hmm. And man, it is, it's a wonder to me that, people find any degree of enlightenment because there's yeah. so much conspiring <laughs> to make life challenging yeah oh i know it is and i'm by taking a look under the hood i'm assuming at that point in your life like what you're talking about people get plastic surgery so <laughs> <laughs> no no although you are in, you are in la so i guess that that might be the first place that your mind goes to for a reason <laughs> No, I'm just thinking of all the midlife crises and the stupid things that humans do, like no judgment, but like that would not necessarily happen if, to your point, they did discover what was really going underneath the hood of like, wow, I spent four decades thinking that I'm useless or I'm worthless. Um, yes, it is. But I would assert, you know, that's the beauty of this paradigm of why we're here as human beings, you know. Um, that is the mechanism by which we get to evolve and to discover our true nature is that we need the resistance of perceived constraint. Um, it's, uh, that's the game that we're here to play. As you arrive with your bucket of fears, life will present you with the circumstances to trigger them. And then, uh, the winner, so to speak, or success is the person who gets beyond them. Um, and that's a different way of looking at the arc of what it means to be human. I've got many clients who've got more money than time. I've worked with, you know, a couple of dozen billionaires over the years. And that doesn't mean that they are by any stretch of the imagination, the most successful people I've ever met. They could be the most, you know, hostile, uh, angry, you know, detached, lonely, isolated, depressed, anxious, um, as well as anybody else. And so it's not to be found in this sort of external material trappings. Success to me is the degree to which you've discovered true inner peace and freedom. So it changes the game. So yes, it is at one level bonkers. And it's like, well, what the hell, you know, what are we all doing here? And all the questions that people eventually ask, as you said, oftentimes in their third or fourth decade on the planet, but it's like, well, to me, it's like, you're here to, you know, transcend constraint 
discover freedom and then inspire others to do the same. That's the game that I play. What other questions have you got? I really like who would I be in the absence of my concerns. Is there anything else that people can use to meditate on for the next couple of days? I mean, the traditional one from Ramana Maharshi, you know, one of my quote unquote inspirations, he was a traditional Indian guru who would have, you know, satsang, like in his ashram, people would come and have these dialogues and questions. He was renowned for the question, who am I? Very simple, who am I? And the immediate response of most people would be like, well, I'm, I'm Chris, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> and I'm 30 whatever years old and blah, blah, like, but the, if you go a little beyond that, like, okay, really? Like, were you born Chris or was that given to you? You know what I mean? It's like you come out of the womb. It's like, hey, what's going on, everyone? I'm Chris. Nice to meet you. Like, can I get like some milk or something from someone's boobie? You know, it's like, no, I mean, we, we had no quote unquote labels, right? We're a being. We're sentient. We sleep. We eat. We poop. Like, you know, there's the process of the organism. But the persona has yet to be established. And so you look at something like nationality, religion. Like that baby, the babies that are being right born right now around the planet, they have no clue about being Christian, Catholic, Muslim, Hindu. Like that doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, you know. So these are the things that get accumulated over time. So if we can start to question who am I beyond the labels that I've accumulated over time without judgment of the labels, but it just really opens up to a much more unified perspective of being human. It would certainly would mitigate all of the nonsense that we see around religious wars and racism and all of that crap. You know, that's just based in pure ignorance and the fact that people are attached to their labels and they want to make other people wrong for their labels. It's like, really? Like, that's that's how intelligent this species is? I mean, we're not even close to an advanced society. You know, it's like, it's just complete nonsense. So, Dude, I've, people uh, I've, I've thought so much about how how challenging it would be for any other civilization that wants to become spacefaring or colonize the galaxy. Mm -hmm. We don't know much about what aliens could look like, right? We don't know whether they're silicon-based or carbon-based. We don't know whether they exist underwater or anything. One of the things that I can almost guarantee you about any other extraterrestrials is that their civilization could not be much more emotionally charged or an equivalent than ours. Right. If you turned right. the emotional set point of this species up by another 10% to 15% or something, nothing's yeah. getting done. Absolutely nothing's right. getting done. When you think about that, I, I genuinely believe that it's true. When you think about that, you're like, oh my God, we are at cl- close to terminal velocity for emotionality mm-hmm. of, a, of an advanced species. That's mm-hmm. mental to realize that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's something that I sit and vacillate a lot just by virtue of the fact that's how my mind thinks. But I look at society today and it's, you know, excuse my friends, but it's fucking embarrassing, you know, as a species. Like the fact that somebody is going to discern that because of someone's skin color, that they are in some way a lesser person, whatever the color is, it's black, it's Eurasian, you're Hispanic, like, like it's just, it just speaks to the absolute pure ignorance of the human being. And yet then we have the audacity to think that we're the smartest on the food chain. It's like, no, you, you're literally killing the planet 
your own home. Like, I mean, look at our species. We harm ourselves. We, we talked about the dialogue and then certainly like the dog shit food that people put in their systems, the alcohols, the drugs. Like that's literally poison. So you're harming yourself. You harm others, whether it be through verbal or, you know, critical uh, derogatory and then even physical abuse and harm. And then we harm our planet. We got the trifecta of stupidity, <laughs> right? And then you wonder why you can't fucking have a good relationship. It's like, are you kidding me? You're a moron. <laughs> and Dude. I say that with love and compassion, it's... you know. And again, I really want to emphasize because it seems like, oh, Peter Crone, like he's like, no, I, I'm saying it as objectively. I include myself in the gamut at one point. Like I feel like I'm doing a good job of like you know slipping out of the stupidity at least, but. I, I love the old quote of like, oh, as human beings, we only use 10% of our brain, right? Or whatever it is. I'm like, how accurate can even that statement be if you're only using 10% of your brain? Like, if you're only using 10% of your brain, then any of the assumptions that arise out of that limited perspective is probably going to be pretty inaccurate, right? So <laughs> you just see the stupidity of the vicious cycle by which we, I was going to say, function as human beings, but it's really just, you know, survive. We don't really function. So anyway, you know, that's, you know, to your alien point, I always find it funny as well that like if aliens were to come and apparently that's going to be the next narrative in this whole COVID bullshit and this new world order or whatever's going on. Like now let's start to get them worried about aliens and propagate the fear underlying that, you know, these these the madness that's going on is because that's, you know, triggering all of the fear responses. So even in our response to uh, an alien invasion, it would be we would because by virtue of the fact that we're designed to protect ourselves, it would be a perceived threat. Right. It's like, oh, they're bad. Let's kill them. And you see the movie Arrival. Right. Like here's this intelligent species that will actually try to gift you a different way of communicating that gives you an insight into the future. Like that's obviously the movie script. But hang on a minute, if like these people have ships and they're around us and they can fly around and go through time and they're in different planets, like I'm gonna I'm gonna make a pretty confident assertion. They're way smarter than we are. <laughs> so then how about we just listen instead of just trying to kill them? <laughs> right? But no, it shows again, like the guy that goes to yoga, he's tight. Okay, there's something that you're not familiar with, and it creates, you know, the the fear response, which is showing that you're scared. It's a threat. Right. So, again, it just shows that as a species, we're functioning in fear. And that's why, for the most part, everything is so deleterious in our lives, on our planet and in our relationship. So anyway, I got my soapbox there for a minute because I'm like, holy shit, like we are so unevolved. It's like we are so immature. It's ridiculous. We're gods, but for the wisdom, man. That's it. Yeah. Gods, yeah. but just shitty gods, as Daniel Schmachtenberger said. Well, Peter Crone, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. if uh, people want to check out more of your stuff or keep up to date with what you're doing, where should they go? Well, I'll be flying around in spaceships with my new buddies who've got the intelligence. Perfect, <laughs> but, perfect. But they can find me, uh, the dizzy heights of Instagram, Peter Crone official, uh, and then on my website, petercrone.com. So pretty simple. And for Facebook users, I think I have Peter Crone Mind Architect. I love it. I'm, yeah. I'm not too okay with all that shit. <laughs> Dude, thank you very much for your time today. Chris, pleasure to be with you, mate. Really great conversation. I love, uh, I love the way that you look at things. Uh, great to be with you. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget that you can receive a 20% discount off all full-priced items by going to puresportcbd.com slash modernwisdom and using the code MW20. And 
you can get the perfect straight smile that you've always wanted from DW aligners, 70% cheaper than other invisible align methods by going to dwaligners.co.uk slash modern wisdom. That's dwaligners.co.uk slash modern wisdom. Peace.